Perfect. Okay. Hi, welcome to Ask the Pool Guy. Episode 2. Episode 2. I was thinking before we sat down, wondering what specific things we should talk about. And you and I both know there's a myriad of a thousand different topics that we could talk on. But based on where we ended up last time, I'd like to kind of continue down that. We were talking about our history, where we started, and some of the background of who we were, and that led us to this point. And we, we briefly touched on Insights Group, the, the company that we had founded that really became our place of learning. And I know that its intention was to be a springboard and help other companies find their way, other small businesses to wrap their head around what it is to be a business and what it means to be successful at it. And yet you and I both know that that was really the breeding ground for us to understand what success really was and what doing good business really was. Because like I shared before, my business experience was just keep throwing stuff against the wall. Just keep throwing mud and hope some would stick. And I just that was my mentality. I didn't. I wasn't trained any differently. I didn't have any other experience other than you just work hard and you keep going and you keep going and you're spinning in the wheels 90% of the time but as long as you're taking a little bit of a step forward it's better than not. And that's where I found myself but that's I also found myself burned out because I had been spinning my wheels so long and getting very little distance from where I was to where I was going that I knew that there had to be a different way. So maybe let's kind of start there again in terms of how that insights experience helped us shape what we know now and maybe some of the things that you might have learned through that experience. I, you know, we, we know we have this history and we go back and we talk about all the different things we did, but how about you, your title was First Lady. Now, that was really a catchy title. People would always go, oh, you're the First Lady. They recognized you to me. The one thing that I saw you more than anything else do, or the, the one thing that you did that caused so much buzz about who the First Lady was and who Sandy Mackey was, and as silly as this seems, it was really important because at that time it wasn't popular or known, was you signed your name Hugs, Hugs Sandy, and every email, and you sent a picture of yourself with that outgoing message. And I don't know how many, you probably remember as well as I do, how many hundreds of people would go, I know you, we'd go to some convention somewhere, and they all knew Sandy Mackey because they recognized that email they had gotten of you. And what inspired that? Where, where did that come from, and what were you thinking? Well, I remember in those early days when we had first started Insights, I think you and I were um, strategizing one day, and we were probably having dinner. And I remember making that very conscious decision that day and discussing it with you that if we move forward with this then we're not going to be anonymous in Brighton anymore we're going to become major players in the um, the local area and I don't think I knew what it meant at that point but I remember that there was a significant shift that had to take place well when we started insights it was grassroots zero budget a lot of time intensive marketing that we were doing and my philosophy throughout it all has been, what can we do to be different and fun? So the email signatures was something early on because we were doing a lot of email marketing for the company. Instead of a standard corporate or blah, blah, blah kind of uh, sign-off of it, of look, yeah. 
I decided very early that it was important to put my photo there because we were networking. Our whole business was based on the premise of bringing people together. They'd need to know who we were so that they could feel compelled to find out more. So it was a very, um, I, I don't know that it was well thought out strategy at that point. It was a very fun way I thought of putting this information in front of people. So I had started doing that and then if you remember in the early days of Insights as well, I didn't have any plans of being a public speaker. I didn't have any plans of doing video. That really was something that found me because we had hosted an event. It was a collaboratory of speakers who were just practicing their programs with an audience so that they could get feedback and figure out how they were doing. Well, I was just hanging around the building that day, not intending on participating, and there was a group of people and there was a microphone and everybody said, well, why don't you do something? So I got up and I told a story about how the philosophy of hugging had changed in my life when I became an adult. I had moved away from home and I had lost touch really with my family a bit, my brothers especially. And the whole hug story came out of an experience that I had um, one Christmas with my family that after telling the story snowballed into telling the story more often, having the sign in the office, and it really became something both you and I were known for, although I switched my signature to hugs instead of sincerely or regards or thanks at that time, again, because it was a fun and quirky way of expressing the connecting that we were doing in the community. Wasn't it your brother that then sent the link to the uh, uh, YouTube video of the free hugs campaign some artist had done in San Francisco or somewhere? And that kind of led us down this whole journey of free hugs, which, you know, we produced t-shirts and we did all those types of things and it was all in the name of being recognized. What I know, having witnessed and watched you doing that, now I've become way more in the public eye. At that time, I witnessed people flocking to you as the one. You were the first lady. You had a great catchy title, and you your, your face was very known. And don't forget the swooshy hair. And the swooshy hair certainly made a difference. Yeah. Red swooshy hair. That'll get you every time. They, people recognizing you was a good thing for me to understand about marketing and branding. And that's something then that we went on to taught to teach, both in the social media world, but also in the general marketing world, is the importance of leading with the person. Because I think prior to that time, like 2008 and earlier, was, was kind of a, a corporate world where people stood behind their brand, of, of the company brand. And around that swirl of time happening, I know a lot of people that came in and out of our lives in, the, in our Insights facility were people who had been in corporate America and had been downsized. And that was a period of time, certainly in this region, where thousands of people had lost their jobs. And we recognized that trend and realized how well it worked of leading with the person, and then the person describes the brand. So instead of being, I'll use farmer's insurance as an example, instead of being this is farmer's insurance. I represent farmer's insurance, and by the way, my name is Al Curtis. Instead, it was, my name is Al Curtis. Oh, and by the way, what I represent is farmer's insurance. And that was, it was right in that period of time where it just like flip-flopped over on its head. And that's, again, part of my understanding was witnessing it with you, which now I understand it with me because of the public t attention that I've gotten because 
we lead so much pool related stuff with my face or a logo of my face. And I don't know, I was thinking about this today, I don't know if people recognize my face or they recognize the logo and they see the logo. How many times just this past week when we were at a convention, someone's seeing the, the logo from a distance and recognizing it and then happening to know if it was me wearing the shirt at the time, happening to notice, oh, you're the guy on the shirt. But how many times did people say that brand is very recognizable? It we is. just sort of blended all of it. We blended an actual face with the actual logo and not just a person representing a logo. We kind of blended them together and it's worked really well. Well, we know that we hit on something with the logo. It does look very much like you. And at the beginning, when we had first started releasing it, people would see the logo and it had an energy that it felt like at the time it was much bigger than it was because we had just launched it and we were at a pool show and people were saying, yeah, I recognize that. Yeah, I've seen that before. And we're just nodding our heads. Okay, maybe they bumped into it, but it was so new and it was so small at that point that it was hard for us to think Believe, that they would have seen right. it somewhere. And yet, the first videos went out and there were some views and maybe those some views were those people. Could be. But it, it also has a sense of recognizability, like someone should know what that brand is, and it's almost like they projected it into our future by pre-recognizing us versus having met us and then recognizing us. So how does that make you feel when we're going places and you are so recognized? I know for me, when we had first started doing that for Insights, it was nice because I would get somewhere and people would already know me and recognize me and flag me down from across the room so I didn't have to do as much work trying to find people and that type of thing but at the same time once I became so recognizable I felt like I had to be on anytime I went out in public then in our local networking area you know our um, the city of Brighton and beyond it was then work to bring that persona with me mm -hmm. whether I was feeling it or not. So have you had any of those same experiences? I think there's probably a bit of a difference between the the feminine energy and the masculine energy and the man and the woman thing and which which makes us a really strong team in what we do. But in those days I remembered witnessing that in you and people that we were speaking at a convention and they would recognize you from a, from across the hall and come to you and say, okay, here, you're ready to go and, and bring you around because of that recognition. And I would witness you go into that play because you have to be on. And it's uncomfortable sometimes. The difference, I think, between the man and woman is there's part of me that doesn't give a crap. There's part of me that says, this is who I am and you're going to see the good, the bad, and the ugly, and I'm kind of okay with it. And I, I think the difference between you and me in this case is I've been conditioned to that. With, with the videos and, and the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of videos we've released, we haven't edited them. We haven't cut out the stumbles. We haven't, you know, my, my shirt not tucked in was no big deal, or me walking along and tripping and falling and trying to catch myself and, you know, looking like I was going to face plant. We, we left that in there, which has helped me be really human because that's what I'm like anyway. So for me, it's a little uncomfortable more so when I don't know that person and they know me. So it just happened the other day where a guy was eyeballing me and I'm eyeballing him back and I'm trying to go, do I recognize him, do I not? And he's sure acting like he knows me. And he walked by and we said, hey, how you doing? And, and 
uh, okay, I don't know who that was, I don't know that he knows me. And then a few minutes later, I'm walking by and he's sitting there. And he turns and he goes, man, I just got to tell you. And he started talking to me. Because he'd seen our stuff online and he felt like he knew me. He started telling stories about me and, and, all, and I had to play like... Do I recognize you from somewhere? I said that to him. I said, are you from Michigan? Because you sure look familiar. He said, no, I'm from, I don't know, somewhere out east. And, Great. And now boom. he'll watch this. And sure. Well, I didn't, I didn't, but there's Let's the, the beauty in, I don't under, I didn't recognize him, but, but in his recognition of me, I was somehow supposed to know him. And that's, that's a bit of a challenge. Yet in the same token, it it's makes flattering. It, it, it makes it easier because now we have a reason to talk, and now he he felt really strong. Like, whoa, you're standing here talking to me and my buddy, and we're doing something. And man, I can't wait to get back to this to the store. They they ran a retail pool store. I can't can't wait to get back and tell him who I ran into and you chatted with me. He was excited that it took 20 minutes to talk to him. I didn't know not to. I didn't know I wasn't supposed to. You are supposed so, to. Exactly. So that if that part is there's those moments of uncomfortability. But on the same token, I don't feel that I have to be on all the time because I kind of am who I am, online and offline. And yes, I need to be cheerful. And I do know that when I'm deep in thought, I get very mean looking. I recognize that I've been told many times that I look scary. And I'm not scary, although I appear to be scary. But when I'm concentrating and deep in thought, so it's in those moments that I have to remember to smile. You know, just put a little bit of a smile on. It doesn't have to be, woo, great to see you. But I certainly have to brighten up a little bit. So touching on the fact that you and I have both independently built these brands, I know in the early days of Insights, it was more my face. And then when we redirectioned the pool company, it became more of your face. I think we should let people in on a little secret. And when I was talking about having to go into public and be on, it's the fact that I'm really an introvert at heart. And I know you always say that you're one of the shyest people than anyone will ever meet, and I'm sure there's a lot of people watching or listening to this now saying, what are you talking about? Because that seems so far from what they would have recognized. So, what do you think about sharing that? I think it's okay for people to know that I really am shy by nature. If you looked at me as a child, I was always afraid of people. And I was the one hiding behind my mom's skirt, not wanting to talk to people. And yet I also recognize that it's important to be able to overcome that. And a lot of people won't allow themselves to. You know, my, my natural tendency would be to not be out in public, certainly not to have videos all over of me doing everything possible in my industry. But I recognize that there's a place where it serves you to not be that person that you were. Now, in the quiet times when, you don't, when you're not doing the thing you're doing, it's probably okay to revert to that sometimes. And yet, it's good to not stay there too much. And for me, it's to get back out there and to make sure that I stay known. Because of what I, my intentions with the industry and being an advocate for the pool industry and wanting to talk incessantly about it because I'm so passionate about it it's pretty hard for me to be quiet as much as I might want to zip it and not say something in a meeting I'm probably going to because I feel really strongly about it if it's something that I don't care too much about it's pretty easy to be quiet but 
when it's something that I care about because I've become really passionate about it, it's hard to be quiet. So I don't know if that helps, but when you become impassioned over something, it's it's not hard to overcome being shy. Well, I think that's a good. Um, I think that's a good point for people who are seeing what the results of our approach to marketing and our approach to the pool company and our approach to insights has been, they might be looking at us as examples and then thinking, well, it's not possible for me because I am so shy. And I think that's one of the things. If you have enough of a reason, then that becomes something that pushes you through that. And I explain, um, I mentioned that I'm slightly introverted. If I'm in charge of something, I'm not introverted, but when I'm not in charge of something, when I'm a participant or, you know, at the kids' schools used to be a good example, if I was the soccer mom in the bleachers, I went in there and I sat and I watched my kids and I didn't engage a whole lot in chit-chatty conversation and everything else because I was, like, in there to do what I was doing and get out. But then if I'm in charge of a brand or a party or a networking event or something like that, then I'll definitely turn that on and... That amount of sustained energy, I think, is one of those things that, you know, we've got to make sure we allow a break from every once in a while. We need the break, but we also need that infusion with that experience because I've witnessed you get into a funk when you have been away from that for a while. That being large and in charge, being the one to go to, the one that's going to get it done, empowers you in so many ways. And I certainly understand there's a time where you just don't want to do anything. I, I know, we've all been there, we just don't want to do anything. And yet I know I witnessed this whole change in you when it's, when it's go time. And there's a, a, there's a, a cool thing that happens, it's an energetic thing that happens that I, I witness in you all the time when all of a sudden it's time to take charge and you go. And yet I do know that you're very much introverted, let's sit in the corner or the very back of a of a room Classroom. and let's stay yeah let's stay to the back not because we don't want to listen we're really intent on listening to whatever is being said but we don't want to have to interact and and I think you and I both have a bit of that tendency to me I also know the importance and you know the importance of not being that way all the time because the flip side would be if we're that way all the time and we introvert so far that we, it becomes too uncomfortable to do anything, we wouldn't produce like we do. And instead, we've been able to overcome that by producing. You, you know, work creates some action, and action gets rid of that, that slow, that stop. You also have a bit of that when we first go to a pool show or somewhere a in public. Mm -hmm. we, we often intend on interacting with people and doing videos, and I know sometimes you, it seems, would want to just kind of slide in under the radar, but then you do know that that's what we're there for, and it's what is so important. It's what's making such a difference in our lives that you also, it's almost like a switch, and it's okay, i got to do this now. So We'll realize that I'm always wanting to be that way. I'm always not wanting to interact. I mean, that's the initial natural thing, and yet I certainly know that the reason we went there was to be able to interact, to meet people, and it has absolutely revolutionized and changed their lives. I know that. But there's still that, that tape in my head that wants to just hide. And, and going there is great, and getting there is, oh, now i got to do something about it. And that, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think it's not stage fright, but it is, in a sense. And there's nothing wrong with that apprehension, because that, that 
overcoming that apprehension is what makes it better. If this was just so easy and everyone could just do it, more there'd be no voice. Would be everyone it. would be doing it with no, to no avail. And I do hope more people do it. I, I would absolutely. There's there's room certainly in every industry, and I know in our industry there's a ton of room for more people to get actively involved in sharing a message and helping people and helping the industry be, be a better industry. I just don't think that most people want to out of that fear, because if it, like you said, if it was easy, everyone would do it. Well, when we started too, I know we started putting out video and it was edited in a very amateur way because we we have had some professionals help us from time to time but we found for the amount of content that we wanted to put out that we didn't need too many extra steps to be in the way of it and one of the things I like to refer to is everything vintage becomes cool again because in those early days when we really weren't sure what we were doing with the video, how it would be received, we weren't sure that we wanted to release it, we still kept taking the video. And then as years pass, I, women maybe are this way more than men, but I can look back at something that I thought at the time wasn't super special, and then five years later I'm like, wow, that was pretty good stuff. So I don't know if you feel that way as well, but everything vintage becomes cool again. So That's the beauty of the platform it. too though, that's the beauty of video in the digital world is it's there forever if you choose to keep it. And having that early video work of, of some of the, what I would have considered horrible things we did and shot. Well, horrible becomes, in, well, horrible, in horrible because it's horrible not in content. And, exactly. Or it's, it, it was all within me. When I say horrible, it was within me, the feeling of, oh, wow, did I really suck that at that? Wow, oh, that was lousy. Or, or, why would, why would I talk about that? that? Why would anyone pay any attention to that at all? And we were certainly a little more sensitive about what we put out because we were trying to be a little more politically correct and trying to be a little more mainstream and a little more popular. And so you think about all those things. and We hadn't settled on the story that we wanted to tell. Mm -hmm. That was maybe a part of the apprehension. It was, and part of us becoming genuinely who we are on video helped. The more authentic I became, the more people would even mention that. I would go on an appointment and people would say, you look exactly like the guy in the video. Oh, wow, you talk exactly like the guy in the video. Oh, wow, your mannerisms are the same as the guy in the video. Well, right. yeah, because right. it was me in the video. You are the guy in the video. I'm on the guy. <laughs> but at that, at that time, I was an actor playing me that wasn't really me. It was supposed to be something else. And I think for me, I learned as much as I'm still apprehensive when a camera goes on, I've learned to be authentically me. Sure, I'm not going to share the deepest, darkest secrets of how I feel about some things sometimes. We know that. I mean, we're all going to be reserved. But I pretty much share how I feel. And I live my life based on feelings, based on the environment that I'm in and how I feel about it. And therefore, I share that way. And that's why a lot of what we talk about becomes philosophical. It becomes a learning point. It becomes a lot of that. Not because I'm some great teacher, but because it's how I feel. And hopefully someone can derive something from that. And one of the one of the key points which you brought up was that willingness to express ourselves even though we're not comfortable sometimes. Even though we're shy. I could never do that. I would have been the first one, first, to get in the line that says, you can't do this. I would have been the first guy to go, yep, you're right, I can't. <laughs> Guess I'm not going to. Well, but we even, jumped in. Even though we may be shy and or introverted at times, when we really decided what story we wanted to share, 
what message we had for the world, we are as opinionated as we would ever be shy. So I know when those situations arise when we could either hide and keep it to ourselves or make known that we have thoughts about something, neither one of us known. will hesitate yeah. to yeah. share that as well. I think that's part of once you sort of jump in, once your feet are wet and you're in it, you're in it, you're in it to be a part of it and we're going to share what's on our mind. And I think that's a really good quality. If we didn't even get our feet wet, we wouldn't say anything. But as soon as our feet are wet, we're immersed. And that's, that's a personality thing as well. And as soon as I get interested in something, it's not just this waning, well, I'm kind of sort of interested. I'm in or I'm out. I'm kind of all in. And that's how I treated the pool business many years ago was I was all in. It wasn't a, well, it's a summer job. I'll work a little while. I'll see how it goes. And I'll... I, it's kind of like when I got in, I got in. And it wasn't, how quick can I get out? But I've been here forever. Because once I got in, I stayed. There seems to be times that it takes being all in. And there's other times where it doesn't take being as much in. So I think well, I've definitely seen that in you. And from mm -hmm. time to time, um, even out in the field, which I'm more of a marketing office uh, management kind of girl, I know that I've also jumped in there when it needed to be. So. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think that's what really gets things done and gets things done in a way that makes sense. Because there's a time to reflect and there's a time to be zen and we should all be zen at times and I'm absolutely one that understands there's times that I need to be zen. But then there's also times when you got to get effing stuff done. You just got to do it. And it's finding that balance of just doing it. And, and I know for me, I'm a in-the-field guy. You know that. I, I don't know how many companies there are in the pool industry that the owner is an all-in operator all the time in the field. I'm one of very few. Yes, a lot of guys got started that way because they were doing their own thing and then they hired people and next thing you know they're managing people. And throughout my entire career, I was all-in both hiring and managing and controlling people, but being in the job and doing the work myself. And what I learned from being in it was it's important to go sometimes. And on the same token, being in management, not re not expecting someone to do something that I wasn't willing to do myself. So I, I always put myself in a position that if it was the worst job to do, I would do it first and ask someone to help versus, okay, you do this, you do this, and then they all grumble. I made that point of, of always being in it, and I still am. I'm no different today than I was 30 years ago. I'll get right into the same pool to do the exact same thing that I would have done 30 years ago, 20 years ago, 10 years ago, 5 years ago. Maybe a little slower at getting in and out of the hole, but I'm going to do the work the same. And I'm in me, it's always going to be I'm going to outwork you to show you that what's possible. Why is that? Why do you think a lot of people, like you said, company owners sometimes start out doing the work and then they transition into directing the work? Why do you think that you've stayed so hands-on? I think in me there was a lot of a lot of family dynamics of becoming overweight, becoming not so much lazy because I wouldn't call anyone in my family lazy, but we had a tendency to be overweight. And I think the one tape in my head was if I just kept moving, if I just kept working my butt off, then I would never have to worry about that part. And it's something that I've, I've, I work to eat and do my thing, but I know I feel, and I, I haven't tried it out, but I feel that if I just stopped 
and just sat at a desk and managed people, I would very rapidly become a much larger person. And, and I'm a big enough guy as it is, and I'm okay with that. I don't want to be bigger. If there's any way to prevent it, I won't. And the one way I've prevented it to this point in my life is to work. And, and you know, so, it wasn't money because I, we, I'm sure I could have hired someone and orchestrated the business. It's probably not the smartest business decision in the world to stay working versus managing and scaling and growing a company to a mega bazillion dollars. Maybe I could have gone that route. But for me, it was out of personal accomplishment and, and being a part of it. Personal accomplishment, and is there a love of the work? Because That's, would you love being in an office? See, I wouldn't. I, but I don't know if I rolled back 25 years ago and said if I had gone that route instead, how it would look, I'm not sure. I know that I went this route out of a lot of my own reasons to go this route. One of them being I wanted to stay healthy, and I wanted to stay able to. And I think ultimately what happened was I absolutely fell in love with the work. I don't ever dread having to get up ever and go to work. I stay up at night, half the night long, thinking about how I'm going to do things the next day. And you guys joke when it comes to concrete day, I'm a different person. And it's, and it's not because I don't love it. It's because I love it so much that I get nervous about it about how things are going to go and, and knowing that it's on me to do certain things and to make sure that it happens. And that's not what a typical business owner talks about. Certainly not a typical pool business owner that's been around for a while. Maybe someone brand new who started out yesterday that, yeah, they can't afford, you know, to, to have guys do it so they work themselves. But for me, I, I fell in love with that part, that the physical labor, the, the mental labor, the emotional part, and then I, I love the design end. I love all of it. You had just mentioned falling in love with doing the work. Was that always the case? I know that when I got started, when I first, my first experience with pools, I enjoyed the experience. I didn't have, I didn't have a dad that was a heavy labor guy that worked a thousand hours a week. He was a corporate business guy that traveled around the world. When I was introduced to the pool business, it wasn't even a, a worry or a concern to work the amount of hours that I worked. Because it was just something that this is worth doing. I didn't have a, I didn't have a frame of reference saying you work 40 hours a week and then you get time and a half or you don't work anymore or to me, it was there was a season to make money, and then there was a season not to. And even as an employee for those number of years, there was a season to make money, and there was a season not to. So I didn't stop and worry about, was I going to get overtime if I worked past 40? Hour 41, there was a job to do. Hour 71, there was a job to do. Hour 80, there was still a job. You just did it. And then you got paid, what, five bucks an hour or what it was at the time, and, and it just was, it was what it was. And I think that repetition of that, never getting hung up on, oh, it's unfair, my employee's taking advantage of me, and blah, 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 which people get caught up in that drama. They really do. And it's really stupid. You have a choice. You can work or not. I'm, not, I'm all about the Fair Labor Act and all of that. You were asking the question about me loving the work and, and labor and physical labor and all of that. And I was trying to express that I never got hung up on how many hours I was working and, and any of that. What I looked at was at the end of the week, I made more money if I worked more hours. 
And that was enough for me. Getting hung up on what the law said, what that didn't matter. But what it did for me was it, it set into this motion, this learning to love what you're doing no matter what it is. And I really enjoyed it most of the time. What I didn't like was when things happened in the business. And that's when I eventually got to that burnout point was because I wasn't paying enough attention to the details of some things and because I was busy doing and I didn't have a good way of managing it and having the right people in place that could handle it, the background stuff, I had found that, that I just didn't love it anymore. I didn't not love the work. I didn't love the business. And let's make the clear distinction between not loving the work that I do and not loving the business of the work that I do. And because that's not a concern of mine, because you very much handle the business side of what we do. From the day-to-day -day operations business stuff, I can do what I love. And that's like heaven. Because I can just be thrilled about it every day, knowing that I can just go out and do the thing and create what I love to create. And what does it mean? Long... When it's all said and done, who knows? But we got one shot at this going through life. And we can believe in, in reincarnation. And we can believe any, any belief we want, and that's okay. But right now I look at it as this is my one shot to make my impact, whatever that means. I may never be known again, and it's okay. But right now I'm known because of the thing that I do. With the amount of videos that are available on YouTube of you, I don't know that it will be a problem. You know, we've often joked about how people become so much more famous after they've passed away. Who knows, maybe this whole library becomes super popular 150 years 100 from years now. 100 years from now, someone will dust it off. Of the, oh, that's right, it's in the cloud, so it's not in a thing somewhere. But maybe it will be stored on a server somewhere, and someday someone will wipe it off and go, what's this? And there I'll be again, you never know. But that is also the beauty of video, is it? it captures the moments in people's lives and the eternity of people's lives. So if there's five years worth of my life of video, that's immortalized me if it's kept. So we talk a lot about the importance of doing video. Do you think doing video is for everyone? I think people all have a different way of expressing themselves and I don't know that being in front of a camera is exactly everybody's way up the mountain, down the mountain, around the mountain, however you want to call it. I know if I could do video, I don't see why anybody could do video. I was the least likely one to want to have my face, my voice, my mannerisms, my inflections, my anything put on video and captured forever. So I kind of, there, I have two beliefs on it. I think everybody could and should. I know most people won't. But I would hope that they find their own way to scale that, whatever it is they're trying to get to, to get to that next goal. I do think video is probably easier. It certainly captures who and what we are in this moment because the next moment we're different. And I've, I've shared with you and with our marketing group that I've found myself watching videos of me from before going who was that guy that's really good stuff and I find myself 
re-witnessing my past self teaching my current self something that I either didn't remember or didn't recognize it or the way that I said it was maybe like beamed in from wherever it would be beamed in from it and I was spoke, speaking it but not really knowing what I was saying. And then I listen to it now and go, wow, that's some good stuff. I do think that there's a whole other layer way beyond marketing, way beyond who's going to know me or not know me and, and Am I going to make money with it or not? Is there an ROI or is there a return on an investment of sitting here and talking? And once you get past all of that, the business part of it, and you get to the passion part of it, and you get to the recognition that you're sharing your life in a way that's exposed to the world and, and maybe no one listens, which is what I certainly thought is no one would ever listen to me. I'm just another pool guy. And yet, we found that not to be the case because we're very recognizable now. But there's still that content available. And that content can teach ourselves. Because that same person that said it three, five, seven years ago is still in me. I've just got a new layer over me. I'm very much that original computer program with just a couple more updates. Because it doesn't mean when you update your computer that it all goes away. It means that you layer over the top of what's already there and you give it a new fresh look with more information. And that's really how I view me, is I'm still that three-year-old kid. I'm still that 30-year-old kid. I'm still that 40-year-old kid. I'm, and I mean now, I'm all of those things as well, but the new version of me has a little more experience, a little more knowledge, a little more insight to things, more stuff. We could look at it as good or bad. Oh, I've had more things happen. I don't ever view that. It's perception is my reality. Reality isn't reality. Perception is. It's how you perceive it. And I look at life as this growth opportunity all the time. My outlook at sharing has changed also since the early days of insights. I know one of my aversions to speaking was I didn't know that I had anything to say and I think maybe that's why people don't do video or don't blog or don't share because they're not quite sure what they have to say. For me, practicing that is what helped me overcome it. So becoming a speaker and doing trainings, I learned that people do indeed want to know what I have to say and that has been able to help us progress through this and then once we really settled on the story, and I'm calling it a story, but we know it's just the um, speaking your truth in the world or sharing the message. Not a made-up story, here, not a, yeah. ooh, here's a good not marketing like a story, deal. No, but, a, you know, but it's tale, your authentic story your and authentic recognizing story. How, to, how to say it. Yeah, I think when we really got clear on what that looks like, and I know sometimes people might struggle coming up with what is it that they really, really want to share, I know we didn't settle on it the first time around. I know we started and we practiced and then it became clearer and as it has become clearer it has definitely gotten a lot easier to continue telling and sharing. So many people won't start because they don't, again, know that the message is good enough or the message is right. And had we waited for the message to be right, we wouldn't have gotten started either. Because you're right, we went through this evolution of what were we really trying to say? And we have a unique position, I think, because we have this ability to mastermind and banter off of each other. And it's not, there's a feminine, there's a masculine, there's a yin, there's a yang, that you can follow any modality of anything. But we've always been open to discussing 
all of it. How something made us feel, how something was, why do we think that way, why do we feel that way, why did this person make me feel that way, or you feel this way, and, and it's that constant banter that has allowed us, I think, this is just my personal opinion, has allowed us to overcome a lot of those things that would have stopped people. Not because we were better at it, but because we just did it anyway. And then eventually the message became sound. The message made sense. The message became clear. Our vision of our lives became clear because we discussed it. How many people don't even discuss where their life is going or what they're going to do and how they're going to be different today than they were yesterday? You know, most people won't and they wonder why it's not different because they didn't do something different. So really it has been our team. It has. The, the shared mind that we can have that helps us with that. What can someone do that's not a part of a team, do you think? And finding a teammate, whether it's someone who works with you or just someone that can be that masterminding mm -hmm. it, partner it's, it's, for you it's, is a num great idea. Number one, it's deciding that you need it. I think most people never do because they don't need it. Well, I'll use my spouse, or I'll use my daughter, or I'll... And they, they get into this mindset of social parameter of family. Love family. Family's amazing. Family's not always a person to do this with. Because otherwise, you're sort of stuck into that home life, business life, all of that wrapped into this quagmire of stuff that can get really ugly. That could be a way. But I think if someone recognizes that they need it, it's first to talk about, it's, it's just openly talking about what they need. That's sort of the start. It's the think and grow rich of the Napoleon, here, uh, Napoleon Hill era is, let's talk about what we want and what we need. And amazingly, it shows up. Well, I think, too, that somebody looking for a, a team member or somebody to bounce those ideas off of, they don't have to be in the same field, they don't have to be doing the same thing, but they have to bring similar amounts of energy and passion to whatever it is that they're doing. Because if you can find someone at the same kind of level where you are who is also looking to grow and change and be better, I think that's an ideal kind of partnership mm -hmm. that can help with that idea bouncing. I. I think so too. I think there's a simpler way than that, especially within an organization. Most of us have this perceived social structure that a boss and an underling can't communicate on a different level. It's like the boss must give instruction and the, the underling must follow. And if you look back to our early days, you came initially to work for the pool company and yet we started having these discussions and having these topic in, instead of instead of ignoring them I one distinct moment that probably changed everything for us was when you asked me who are you accountable to because I was a business owner out doing my thing you were running a store and promising service customers things promising whatever and, and I would get in the next day and I would have my own crisis and I would send the service guy over here instead and you said to me as a quote-unquote underling at the time, who are you accountable to? And I wasn't accountable to anyone but myself. And I didn't care if I hurt myself. But that opened up the door to maybe I need to start listening a little bit more. And you and I started talking about what the business could be. And again, you had as much information about the pool business as I did when I got started by owning a company. 
and yet we found a way to work together to then create a partnership that made sense moving forward. I mean, yes, there's years there and there, all of that, but I do think that that a boss could build that type of structured business relationship with someone who's not at their level, not at their you know management versus whatever. And, and I don't even know all the corporate lingo because I've never existed there, but I can only know it in my environment. And I do think that that the simplest thing is to look around the people and go to the people that seem to be sharp, that seem to be motivated, that seem to want more, not just money. Because if it's a guy that just wants money, that's the guy from an integral standpoint and everything else is just going to do anything for money. But someone who really cares. And you get into that, and that's what I certainly saw in you, and hopefully you saw in me in return, was someone who really cared. And that caring took us a long way, but we both had to be seeking it for it to happen. Well, we've also created that environment with the people that become a part of our team mm -hmm. because I think people are willing to share more of their ideas when they know that they're valued and they're mm -hmm. taken seriously. Mm -hmm. And we both in the office and in the field welcome that type of interaction. You know, everybody knows their role and then we also all know where to share. And mm -hmm. I think everybody gets really, really good at knowing that they're valued and their contribution is valued. Well, I think we certainly have recognized that we want to do what we love. Why would we create a culture and a company that only we want to do the part we love and everyone else should be miserable? Instead, it's let's find out what everyone loves and let's help them explore that. And if it's not in our business or our industry, help them move on. It's okay. Even if we trained them and spent money and educate them, whatever, it doesn't matter. If it's not a thing that they can find to be passionate, we need to help them move along. I think that'll be a great topic for one of our upcoming um, discussions. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. any final thoughts today? I think it's this is an evolutionary change of who we are as people, and we grow continually, and we continue to change, and we have new episodes coming out, and we have some quantum leaps come into our lives. Each of us does in different ways, and. And it could be 10 minutes from now, and it can be 10 years from now, and it doesn't really matter. It's being willing to take that road less traveled, to go down that place that no one wants to, to go inside to the deep spot and dark spot in your own, in your own subconscious mind, in your own being that we try to hide from. But by doing that, it also enlightens and creates passion and creates excitement about all things. So it's, it's finding that balance. And again, I don't even know what balance is because I don't have that, but it's, it's finding something that you can love enough and do enough and be a part enough and, and realize that that's part of the eternity of who you are. Finding happiness in the flow. Finding happiness in the flow and just a lot, that effortless allowance, just allowing it to happen. And I know that my, my moments that are here in time, in, in human history or history of, of the universe, are moments, are just a, a few fractions of moments. So why not allow them to be the best moments that they could be? So that would be my final thought. Awesome. Thanks for joining us. See you next time. Stay tuned.